again, hi. We're in a series called Hang On, and we're going through the book of Luke, chapters 12 through 13. And today we're looking at chapter 13, verses 10 through 21. There it is. All right, 10 through 21. And uh, <clears throat> we have a lot of verses to go through. What I'm going to do is a little different today. We're going to read through a certain section. There's two sections to this, uh, today's passage today. The first section, we're going to read through it really quickly. Okay, and then we're going to go back and explain what we just read. So that's how we're going to go about it today. So let's start from verse 10. This is how it starts. On a Sabbath, and if you don't know what a Sabbath is, we'll talk about that in, in, a, in length today. Don't worry. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Literally in the Greek, it says a weak spirit. She had a, a very weak spirit. For 18 years, she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. So you can imagine there's this lady who's at a synagogue, which they typically meet on a Saturday. <clears throat> they, you know, they had, quote-unquote, church on Saturday. And uh, she couldn't stand up straight. That was her issue. And she's had it for 18 years. Uh, verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. So Jesus says, you're going to be healed right now. And that's described in verse 13. <clears throat> then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. So she's healed. So, so far in the story, good news abound, right? Good stuff happening. People who are sick are now getting better. This is amazing. But then, there's, you know, to every party, there has to be a party pooper, and that's the next verse. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. All right, seven days a week, you can work for six days, according to Exodus chapter 20, where that's where you find the Ten Commandments. So, you know, trivia, if somebody's like, where are the Ten Commandments? You're like, ah, Exodus 20, my pastor told me today. Okay, so, um, and the fourth commandment says, do not work on the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? So that's that's what they're referring to here. They're like, we are good Jews, and good Jews follow the rules, and the rules clearly state that we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. Jesus, you just healed a person on the Sabbath day. Therefore, you just broke a command. You are a sinner. Like, that's, that's what's happening here. I mean, dude, somebody just who was sick for 18 years just got better, and they find that one bad thing in the, in the, in the pile of good news, right? His response, <clears throat> The Lord answered him, and this is a very interesting response. You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? It's like, you have some pets, you have some animals in your barn, right? On the Sabbath, you untie it. Isn't that considered work, Jesus says, right? It's like, isn't that work? Aren't you technically working also? And, and I'll, I'll share with you why this is such a bad argument by Jesus. Next verse. Then, I know, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, uh, for long, 18 long years, be set on the Sabbath day from what bound her? So he says, so it, it, this is Jesus' argument, I mean, on the surface level. And we're going to go deeper and say, you know, show how ingenious what he just did. But, but this is what it sounds like. It's like if a cop pulls you over for driving too fast. Like, let's just say you're driving 80 miles per hour. And they pull you over. It's like, uh, sir, you know how, long you're, how fast you're speeding? Like, yeah, I was speeding at 80 miles per hour. Now, a good argument would be to somehow come up with an excuse, like, uh, you know, I was going to the hospital, or I don't know if that will get you off or anything like that, right? <clears throat> but a bad excuse is, well, t in order to pull me over, Mr. Policeman, uh, you were driving at 80 miles per hour, too. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying here. It's like, 
oh, you think I broke the rules. Aren't you technically breaking the rules too? I mean, proving that somebody else broke the rules doesn't make you right all of a sudden. Do you see the problem with Jesus' argument here? Okay, that is not how this verse is meant to be interpreted. This is why I said this is a bad argument, but really, it's, it's a really good argument, and we'll get into that in a second. Because the response to his argument is, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. They're like, ooh, uh, right? But then, uh, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Things? What things? I mean, he healed a person that was thing, singular. What do you mean by things? So what's going on here? Because the question that, these, uh, that the synagogue leader is asking Jesus is, you broke a command, right? There is a, it's one of the top ten. It's in the Ten Commandments. You broke a command that says you're not supposed to work on Saturday, and you did. So the question that they're asking is this. Did Jesus break a commandment? Jesus, you're claiming to be perfect. I just saw you break a command. You healed somebody on the day we call Sabbath. And God clearly says you're not supposed to work on that day. So, you know, everybody who's following you now should stop following you now because we saw you being imperfect, right? That's... Now, in order to understand why, why these people are picking that thing as the entry into attacking Jesus, okay? And what Jesus meant to, like, they're, they're talking in two different levels here. So I'm going to explain both levels in the next segment, which I like to call the history and evolution of Sabbath. Now, when you woke up this morning, you're not, you weren't like, oh my gosh, I can't wait, wait to go to church and learn about the history and evolution of Sabbath. Well, that's where we're going to get today. Uh, okay, so, all right. So where in the Bible is the first mention of Sabbath? Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 is a part of the Bible where God creates all these things, right? He creates something, he says, oh, that's good. He creates this, oh, that's good. The light, that's good. Land, that's good. The sky, that's good. Birds, that's good. Cats, uh, but dogs, good, you know? And he creates the whole world. Sorry, are there cat people here? Obviously, I'm not one of them, <laughs> right? But he's creating this world, and he says it's good, right? And then that's the end of chapter 1. And then he creates people. And then the beginning of chapter 2, after he sees everything that he's created, he looks at it and says, oh man, that's pretty good. Not to brag or anything, but uh, that was pretty good, right? And then this is how chapter 2 starts. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So this is the first mention of a Sabbath. Sabbath literally means in Greek, uh, Hebrew, it means to stop. Like you're, you're, you know, and a play on the words also means seven, so that's why the seventh day you're supposed to stop. But anyways, it's like, a, it's like a dad joke from God. Okay. But God creates the world as he intended to create it, right? And he's like, this is exactly what I had in mind when I said let there be. And this is like, it's like so perfect. And Adam and Eve, you get to join me and enjoying this world. This is awesome. And you know what? I'm going to go as far as calling this area paradise. And later in the Bible, they call this the kingdom of God. Anything that God... Anything on earth that looks exactly as God intended to look like is called the kingdom of God. So he's like, this is beautiful. Now the question here is, why did God rest? Does God need to, need to rest? Was God tired? Was he like on day four, like, oh, I'm getting tired, but I got three, two more days to go. It's okay, on, this, on three more days I could rest. And was he like, I need to take a nap. I need a hammock. I need, you know, what, you know, like I haven't created that yet, but I need to create that. I need to create a bed so I can rest. Is that what's happening here? No, God isn't tired from creating. The word here and the context here implies that the way that God is resting here is not, oh, I need a nap. 
kind of rest. It's kind of like taking a test, like you're studying really hard for that exam, and you take it because you studied really hard for it, you're confident, you finished it, and you got your test back, and you're so proud of it, you put it on the fridge, and you sit back, and you look at it and say, whew, now look at that. It's almost like you painted something, you put it on the wall, and you're admiring the work that you just accomplished. It doesn't mean you stopped working. It means that you're taking the time to appreciate it. It means that you did something amazing. If you look through the scriptures, you'll see examples of that. Like in the Jonah story, when all of Nineveh repents, right? He, Jonah goes to this hill and he rests and watches over the city as he sees the whole city repent. Like it's this idea of just enjoying what God has just done. So he's like, I just created the world. I just created the galaxy. Adam and Eve, why don't you rest and enjoy with me the thing I just did? That's, that's, that's the implication here, Okay. Uh, Alan P. Ross, he's, uh, uh, he he's a scholar of Old Testament. This is what he says. God rested because everything he had created was perfect and good. He set the seventh day apart as a reminder to humans that he had created everything perfect. He's like, this is awesome. Now, everybody, don't work. Just sit back and enjoy what I just did for you. I just created this amazing meal. Everybody just enjoy and eat it. I just finished building this house. I just finished remodeling this house. Why don't you go inside and live in it? This is the, the heart behind what's happening here. This is like, as you can almost sense that it's like a proud dad, right? It's like, look what I did for you kids. Now go and play, have fun. You know, talk to the, you know, to the animals. Uh, the snake, don't talk to that one. But you know, like just have fun. Pick any fruit one except for that one, but just enjoy it, right? So I want you to know, I want to try to paint this picture for you of what the Sabbath meant in Genesis chapter 2 because it changes over time. So in the first place, Sabbath, in Genesis chapter 2, it means this. It means to appreciate, appreciating God's good world. That's what Sabbath meant originally. Now here's the thing. <clears throat> There's nothing here that tells anybody, anywhere, anywhere, in Genesis at least, that you have to observe the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, the Sabbath is never mentioned after this point in the book of Genesis to the end of the book. There's 50 chapters in Genesis. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 talk about Sabbath. After that, it is not mentioned. It's not like God's obsessed with, <clears throat> are you resting? Are you resting? Are you resting? You better rest or else I'm going to make you work. You know, it's like, like, it's not an obsession of God at this point. And there's a reason for it. If Sabbath is a time for people to appreciate God's perfect and good work, right? And that's the Sabbath. Genesis chapter 3, the very next chapter, paradise is lost. So there's nothing to appreciate now. This is why there is no mention of Sabbath after Genesis chapter 2. There's no world to appreciate that's good. So, <clears throat> but then the next time we hear about the, the word Sabbath and the concept of Sabbath is in the book of Exodus, the very next book. Are you guys following so far? Okay, good. Okay, because I want to make sure that I'm not just going off my own world. Okay. In the book of Exodus, there's a whole group of people called the Israelites, these people, who are enslaved. They've been enslaved for hundreds of years. And they've been praying to God, God, please free us. Please somebody, send somebody to rescue us. Please, we want to worship you. We want to pl please pull us out of this place, this misery in Egypt. And then God sends Moses. Moses comes and pulls these people out. And he says, you guys don't deserve to be treated this way. You guys should be treated like human beings, not less than human. He pulls thousands of people out. Some scholars say like at least a million people out. He pulls these people out of Egypt, right? And now they're in the desert. And people know that if you try to survive in the desert, it's extremely difficult, right? Like where's the food going to come from? Where's the water going to come from? Are people going to die along the way? 
Scripture tells us that in this long journey, they never went hungry. Why? Well, because God sent this miraculous food, kind of like a bread, um, called manna. And every morning they come out of their tents like, oh, look, there's manna. And they pick it up and they cook it, they boil it, they do whatever they want with it, and they eat it and they're, they're not hungry. The scriptures also tell us that not one person died of natural causes during that whole trip. The, the Bible also tells us that their sandals did not, you know, did not weather away in their long journey. Like, everything turned out perfect. So, we're going to pick up from Je- uh, Exodus chapter 12, uh, 16, and this is what it says. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. So, Every day, they open their tents, they come outside, and they're like, oh, there's food. They pick up the manna, they go back inside, they cook it and eat it. On Friday, there's twice as much portion outside because he doesn't want anybody gathering food on Saturday. So they pick up twice as much. Next verse. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest. There's the word. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. He says, I'm going to give you twice as much today because tomorrow I don't want you to work. I don't want you to go out there hunting for bread. Tomorrow you're going to eat leftovers. Today you're going to make the food. Tomorrow you're going to eat it. Why is he doing this? All of a sudden, after God hasn't brought up the whole idea of of Sabbath for hundreds of years, all of a sudden he's like, okay, let's let's do the whole Sabbath thing now. Why is he asking people to do Sabbath? Well, in context, this is what's happening. So, okay. In Genesis chapter 2, Sabbath was appreciating the good world that God created for us, right? And now we're living in the Exodus days where everything is not perfect, so there's nothing to appreciate. However, as they're coming out, people are realizing, oh man, dude, I'm free. I'm not a slave anymore. No one's dying. We're not worried about food anymore. We're not thirsty. We have food. Look at our sandals. They're in perfect condition. And people are like, this is kind of like paradise. I'm getting a glimpse of paradise. I'm getting a glimpse of the kingdom of God. I'm getting a glimpse of heaven right here where I am right now. Now, they also know that we're not in paradise right now because there's no grass, right? There's no trees. You know, um, they don't have perfect relationship to each other. You know, like, right? But they're like, But this is the closest that we've ever gotten to what it feels like to be in paradise. And so Sabbath, you know, Genesis chapter 2 was appreciating the the good world that God created for us. And Exodus 16, it changes to this. It's a reminder of God's intended good world. It becomes a reminder. It's like a a sign that's pointing back to, uh, to Genesis 2 saying like, hey, remember what paradise was like? Let's celebrate it because I think we just got a glimpse. We just got a taste of it today. So Sabbath is like, let's not work. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 2, it was a day to rest, to enjoy God, what God created for us. We don't have to water anything because God watered everything for us. We don't have to work. We could just eat and enjoy what God's given us. Exodus 16, we're in a broken world, but I just got a glimpse of that. I tasted a little bit of that because look, God's given us extra portions. We don't have to work today. People are healthy. You know, like this is awesome. Like I but we're not in paradise because we're in a desert. We have no home. We're, we're wandering, you know, people. Uh, we still have shame. We still have guilt. We have some residual pains and scars from when we were, when we were uh, slaves. And so these people 
we're like, we need to celebrate Sabbath, but not because we're appreciating God's good world. We're celebrating Sabbath because we got a glimpse, we got a taste, we got to experience just a little bit of heaven here on earth. And then in chapter 20, God reminds everybody, I want you to celebrate. This is the Ten Commandments. He says, I want you to do whatever you can to not work on the Sabbath, to keep that day holy to the Lord. Don't let anybody work because that's a day that is a reminder to all of us that paradise is being brought in small portions into the world that we're in right now. And then the definition of Sabbath evolves again in Exodus chapter 23. Let's take a look at that. For six years, you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, so this is why I talk to the seventh day right now, but the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. So he says, everybody, one day you're going to have your own home and you're going to have your own plot of land. You're going to have your own farm. You're going to be planting your own crops, right? But what I want you to do when you get there is when you start plowing your ground, you could do that for six years. You could have your corn and your wheat and whatever you, you know, um, whatever else, tomatoes. I don't know. Did they have tomatoes back then over there in that area? I don't know. But whatever you're growing, you, know, you could do that. But, okay, after doing that for six years on the seventh year, leave it alone. Why would you want us to leave it alone? Oh, is it because the soil needs rest? It's like, yeah, yeah, well, no, there's another reason. And he tells us what it is in the next verse. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left, and do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. I don't want you to touch the stuff there because there might be some people who are walking by who are crazy hungry. And when they see your field untouched, they're going to be like, I need to have some of that corn right now. Right. I need to have some of that tomato right now. I need to make some salsa or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, if there's an animal that's in need, they could come and just eat off your field. That seventh year is a year that is completely dedicated to blessing the people around you. Well, every seven years? Well, okay, not just seven years. Uh, on the seventh day, next verse, he says, six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work. Why? So that your ox and your donkey may rest, so your pets don't have to labor so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. There are people who are born as slaves living in your house. For one day out of the week, I want them to experience what it feels like to be as God intended them to be. Not slaves, but as a member of the family. There's people who are foreigners. For one day out of the week, I want them to feel like family not like people who don't belong here. They're just borrowing space. No, 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 no. For one day a week, they get to be part of the family. There are some animals who are hungry, who have, animals who have worked really hard for six days a week. But you remember in paradise? Remember in Genesis chapter 2? All animals had perfect relationship. They weren't treated as slaves. They get to experience some of that heaven on earth on that seventh day. So looking at the pattern, right? Like Sabbath, um, First, it started off in Genesis 2 as appreciating God's good world. Like, ah, this world is so good. Look at this. God's like, look, you can enjoy. You don't have to work because I did everything for you. That was destroyed. And then it turned into, it's a reminder of God. It's, it's pointing back to what it used to be. And if you experience a little bit of that, then you need to celebrate that. But now, in Exodus uh, 20, what was it? <laughs> the next, it, it becomes a spend, a spreading God's intended good world to the people around you and the animals around you, to the things around you, right? It started off as, look at what I created. That was lost. And now it's like, hey, got a little glimpse of it in this broken world. And now that I've experienced it, I'm going to make sure that it's spread 
to my family members, to my workers, to my animals that's labor all the time. It's pointing back at what it used to be and, and how we can see a little bit of that today and to now that I experienced it, I want to spread it to the people around me. How do we do that? Well, by resting, of course, because resting is the way that we show to God we completely trust in the work that you're doing around us. So going back to the story of Jesus, okay? Jesus heals the person. And then the synagogue leader is like, oh, I can't believe you, you know, you, you had six days to heal the person, but you healed this person on a Sunday, right? I, I mean, Saturday, I can't believe you did this, right? What was wrong with the mindset of the synagogue leader? The synagogue leader was focused on the Ten Commandments. He was focused so much on the what? Not work on the seventh day. Don't work on the seventh day. That's the only thing that he had in his mind. He remembered the what. The commandment says don't work. But Jesus does something different. He remembers the why God gave that commandment, the why. So we can all experience God's intended good world. So a person gets healed on a, on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday. And the synagogue leader, all he could think about is that's breaking a commandment. Meanwhile, Jesus is thinking, dude, but don't you remember the intent behind the commandment? Do you remember why God gave us the commandment? It's so that we could experience heaven here on earth. Don't you think a person who's been crippled for 18 years being healed, don't you think that's a part of experiencing heaven on earth? Don't you think that's a good thing? Isn't that part of God's will for us, right? And, and so the reason why he's humiliated is because he's like, I've been focused on the what all this time. I totally forgot the why behind it. I'm humiliated for not celebrating good things. God is doing something amazing. And these people were so focused on breaking the Ten Commandments or not that they forgot the purpose behind the commandment in the first place. This is a really bad example, but this is the only one I could come up with because my life is not that exciting. Okay, so here's an example. So while we're driving in the car, <clears throat> my kids, both of them in the back, one's three, the other one's six, right? They always want something, right? Like, my son Justin would be like, hey, you know, I think there's a polka stop there. Let's go, you know. Like he always tells me where to drive and how to get there because he wants to make sure he clicks his... If you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to the college students. All right. My daughter is different. She doesn't care about games. She cares about food and drinks. So she'll always say, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I want juice. And so my wife, in all her wisdom, is already prepared, right? She's like, juice, you know, food, snacks, crackers. You don't like crackers? Then I have Doritos. You know, like she knows everything, the possible outcomes of the, whatever she asks for. But every time she asks for juice, okay, we always have this saying in the car because we've seen this go wrong before. We give her Capri Sun. She doesn't know how to put the straw in, so we put it in there for her, right? And before we hand it over to her, we tell her, don't squeeze the Capri Sun. <laughs> and the reason, and I guess you mothers universally are like, amen, right? Because if you squeeze the Capri Sun, the juice is going to shoot out of the straw and get all over her shirt or her dress or whatever she's wearing. We can't give her anything nice because of that. Okay? And so we say, don't squeeze. And she'll say, okay. And sometimes, I would say like maybe 65% of the time, she obeys. And so we went 65% of the time. Now, at the same time, when Justin sees, my son sees that, he's like, I want juice too. And of course, my wife is in her wisdom is like, I'm prepared for that. Here it is. So we put the straw on the Capri Sun and we give it to him. Now, we don't give him the same instructions because we know he's smart enough. I hope she doesn't listen to this like 10 years from now. <laughs> she might be scarred for life after that. Okay. 
Now, he being a bigger boy, he drinks faster than she does. She actually doesn't finish most of her drinks, but he finishes. He, 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 he's, he indulges. Like, he drinks the whole thing, right? And as you guys know, when you get to the, almost the end of the Capri Sun pack, you have to squeeze to get the last bit out. Are you guys following me here? Right? Now, the minute he squeezes, my daughter looks and says, Justin, no squeeze, no squeeze. She is concerned about the what, right? The rule is don't squeeze. He understands the purpose behind it. Okay, do you, are you guys following here? Right? Like, he knows that squeezing, the reason there was a no squeeze law that we put into the commandments of the Omines is because it could get all over her. He knows how not to get it all over himself, so he's allowed to squeeze. Does that make sense? Jesus in this story is saying, Sabbath day is for rest, I understand. The synagogue leader thinks like, well, that's the rule, so everyone needs to follow it. Jesus here is saying, the Sabbath day is to celebrate the heavens on earth moments that we all experience and how we spread it to the people around us. So Jesus is saying, technically, I'm not breaking the law. I'm following the heart of the command while you are obsessed with the, letter, the letters of the command, like the, the actual wording of the command. This is why he was humiliated and everybody praised God for the works, the things that God has done over the years. He's talking about that. Now, that concludes chapter 13, verse 17. And then right after that, in verse 18, Jesus goes into a separate teaching, but it's still connected. Okay, so here we go. Verse 18. Then Jesus asked, well, what is the kingdom of God like? And it's funny. He's like, I'm going to ask myself a question, right? What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? He's like, I'm trying to explain to the synagogue leader what this is all about. How do I explain this? Uh, it's like, oh, I have an idea. Uh, I have a perfect illustration. And so he goes into that illustration. It's like a mustard seed. And back in those days, everybody knew what a mustard seed was. Today, we may not. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. Which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now, there's a lot of implications here. We're not going to get into all of them. But here's a picture of a bunch of mustard seeds. It's really, really, really small. It's not the smallest of seeds, but it is very, very small. Okay? Something as small as something that, if I were to pinch it with my finger, you probably won't be able to see it from where you're sitting right now. Okay? Actually, I have one right here. No, no. <laughs> right? The thing is, when you plant it, right, in your garden, whether you water it a lot or you don't, it's going to grow into something huge. This is a picture of a mustard tree. Now, notice that there's no other plants around it. Now, why is that? It's because in its dryness, a lot of the plants died around it, but the mustard tree doesn't need that much water, so it keeps growing and growing. It's a weed. He said the kingdom of God is like a weed. You could cut this down. You could, if you have a lawnmower back then, you could just, right? I guarantee you in a few weeks, maybe a few days, it will grow back. That's what the mustard tree is. It's like a, it's a weed. You can't get rid of it. <laughs> so when Jesus said this, the people back then probably laughed because they're like, what you're saying? The kingdom of God is like, like a weed? And like, everyone's like, really, Jesus? Right? But what he's saying is this. It's an unstoppable force. It starts off with one simple act of heaven on earth, one act of Sabbath, one little thing. One day, I did something nice for somebody because I felt like that's what a Sabbath was. That's what paradise, that's what heaven on earth looks like. So I did that one thing. And lo and behold, I had no idea. I looked back at it a few days later, and that person's life has changed. And not only that, that person shared the act of kindness with somebody else, and that person's life has changed. My one little act changed all of that. And he's like, that's what the kingdom of God is like. 
it spreads and it's like a weed. You could cut it down, but it'll keep growing back up. And people are like, you're kidding, right? Because we're not, we're not weeds, are we, right? It's like, okay, okay, I need to think of a better illustration. So Jesus asks in, verse 20. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? What is the kingdom of God? Like, okay, the, 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 the mustard seed thing it got lost in a few of you. Okay, I, I have an idea. Here's the next one. It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. In the original language, it says three measures, 60 pounds. It's, basically, it's enough bread, if you bake it, it's enough bread to feed 150 people. Okay, that's a lot. Until it worked all through the dough. When you put yeast into a bread, now, I'm not a baker, so I don't know. You guys could correct me later. But once the yeast starts working into the dough, you can't extract it anymore. It's already in there. It's already doing its work. And no matter what you do, the yeast is going to work there. A little bit of yeast makes a difference to an entire loaf of bread. It's like, it's like that. You start off with something simple, something small, and it turns into something big. The point Jesus is making is this. Every small act of Sabbath will impact the world in enormous ways. Whether we believe it or not, that's what's happening. And so I was thinking, like, what kind of act of Sabbath has people done to me, for me, that's impacted my life in big ways? And I, I, you know, I'm probably sure most of these examples with you because, you know, you've been hearing me talk for a long time. But I remember the first time I went to church. I remember um, sitting there with my high school friends. I was a senior in high school, junior high school, ish i'm sitting at church not this church and i'm like i feel so out of place and this lady tapped me on the shoulder say hey what's your name and i said ah oh, you're not gonna remember my name my name is so weird you're not gonna believe you know it's like well what is it i'm like it's cots it's like well, what does that stand for is that short for something i'm like yeah it's katsuya it's like oh yeah that is a hard word you know like yeah i know and and i thought nothing of it right and like this lady she's gonna forget me the following week i sit in the same spot and the lady taps me on the shoulder is like i remember your name because when heaven is on earth, when the world as is God intended to be, God knows everybody's name. God knows everybody personally. And I got a glimpse of that. And because somebody remembered my name, it made the world difference to me. She, all she did was remember one name. But for me, it made the biggest difference. It made me feel like I found a home. It made me feel like I could, I, could, I could grow my roots into this place. And that led to me, you know, getting totally involved in the church and eventually figuring out, like, hey, I think of a calling, you know, and maybe I want to be a pastor one day. And, you know, not only that, okay, that, even that story has some Sabbath that's woven into it. A person came up to me and looked at me and said, Kotz, I believe in you. I think God has big plans for you. I think God's going to use you to tell stories that matter. And I thought, no one's ever told me that before. Deep down inside, I always wanted to tell stories. You know, and this is why when growing up, I used to be an artist. I used to draw. I used to animate. I used to do all these things. And my life was, it was in a trajectory towards becoming an animator, an artist, because I like to tell stories. And when somebody told, came to me and said, I believe that God wants you to tell stories that changes lives, I felt like I found my calling. That one kind word from somebody in the church was heaven on earth for me because I felt like it was God speaking to me. And that one little seed or that one little bit of yeast changed the entirety of the trajectory of my life. And that's what the Sabbath is. When God's will is happening here on earth as it is intended to be, 
we could enjoy it, we could rest in it, we could do all these things, and in doing so, it changes the entire world. The small act of Sabbath will impact the world in enormous ways. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Regardless of where you are right now in your life, maybe some of you are going through a really tough time right now. Maybe you feel like, you know, I built my life and I just burnt down. I feel like I'm, I'm seeing a pile of ashes. God comes and says, I'm here to build something beautiful out of those ashes. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to bring people, my people around you, to speak truth into your life. We're going to have people praying for you that's going to ask the Spirit to do amazing things in, in that person's life. I'm going to bring people into your life that you never thought could help you, but those people are going to prove to you that the kingdom of God is not limited to this small square box, but it's bigger than you ever believed it to be. The Sabbath is a big deal, and this is why Jesus took the time to explain it to the the synagogue leader. Synagogue leader thought Sabbath is just resting, and so if whoever is not resting, you're sinners, right? Jesus says, do you remember the stories of what the Sabbath is all about? It's about heaven on earth and how you can spread the heaven on earth to people around you. And that's why he found humiliation in that. Like, I, I can't believe I forgot that. I've been so much about the rules all this time. I forgot that it's all about your will on earth as it is in heaven. And that movement, Jesus says, cannot be stopped. So the question is, what act of Sabbath will you be performing? And by Sabbath, we're not just talking about doing something good for other people. It also could mean I'm just going to sit back and enjoy what God has done in my life. All those things is under the banner of Sabbath. So how are you going to celebrate the works that God has done in your life? How are you going to pass on that joy of heaven on earth to other people? These are the questions that we should be asking. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.